Well, good morning again. As always, it is a joy and a privilege to be able to proclaim God's Word to you this morning. If you have a copy of God's Word with you, would you turn to Matthew chapter 13? Matthew 13. Last week, we began looking at Jesus' parables. He told us that the parables were ways that He was teaching His disciples the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but hiding those mysteries from those who rejected Jesus. We saw the parable of the sower and what entrance into the kingdom looks like. It looks like the Word of God being heard and planted deep in your heart and then producing fruit in your life. This is what Jesus has been saying all throughout the Gospel. But remember what the parables do. The parables play on the fact that the kingdom of heaven looks different from different vantage points. And so Jesus didn't just tell us about those who enter the kingdom, but also those who hear that same word of the gospel and don't truly receive it in their hearts. And remember we said that there are three competing perspectives that the parables are highlighting. The kingdom of heaven looks different from those three perspectives. First, the kingdom of heaven looks different to those inside the kingdom than it looks to those outside the kingdom. That's what we're going to see primarily next week at the end of chapter 13. Second, the kingdom looks very different now at the beginning of the kingdom than it will at the end of the kingdom when it has reached full maturity. That's what we're going to see today in these parables. And finally, God's kingdom looks different from God's perspective with His ability to see our hearts and who has true faith than it does from our perspective, limited to seeing only the outside of a person's life. This is actually in every parable, but we saw this especially last week because we know that only God can see what kind of soil, what kind of nature is in a person's heart. And so our job is to spread the word of the gospel to anyone who will listen, regardless of if we think they are ready to hear it and also to pay attention to how we ourselves are hearing God's Word. Those three tensions, those three differing perspectives, are what Jesus is teasing out in these parables in Matthew chapter 13. And today we're going to hear three more of these parables from Jesus. The parable of the wheat and the weeds, the parable of the mustard seed, and the parable of the leaven. And these three parables all have a similar theme in them. The theme of how the kingdom of heaven grows. These parables encourage us to both patience and confidence in the growth of God's kingdom. So if you're here this morning and you are prone to impatience or hopelessness when you look around at the world or at the church, maybe you are prone to despair and anger when you see the lack of growth in your own life, if any of those are you, then Jesus has something to say to you this morning in His Word. But before we hear from His Word, let's ask God for His help in receiving it. Would you all pray with me? Almighty God, most merciful Father, we humbly submit ourselves to You and fall down before Your majesty. We ask you that this seed, this word of your gospel now being sown among us may take such deep root in our hearts and lives 
that neither the burning heat of persecution cause it to wither, nor the thorny cares of this life choke it out. But we pray as seed sown in good ground, it may bring forth the fruit of a changed life, 30, 60, even a hundredfold. Do this in us by the power of your Spirit and to the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This is Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 24. He, that is Jesus, put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first, and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds were gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels... And they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. This is the word of the Lord. As we look at this passage today, We're going to ask a question that the passage answers for us. The question is, what does the growth of the kingdom of heaven look like? We're going to see first in the parable of the weeds that that growth is contaminated for now, but will be pure when Jesus returns. And then in the parables of the mustard seed and the leaven, we'll see that that growth is insignificant and slow for now, but it will be amazing by the end. But before we get to the question of growth, we see this important introductory phrase that Jesus uses. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to. 
in verse 24. Most of his parables open either with that or with the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like. This alerts us again to what Jesus is teaching us about. Remember, he isn't teaching us how to get into the kingdom in these parables. He's already made that crystal clear how to do that. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The call of the gospel is to leave your sin and to come to Jesus. That is how someone becomes a citizen of the kingdom. These parables don't tell us how to get into the kingdom, but they tell us what the kingdom is like. They describe what we will see and what life will be like in the kingdom. And so that begs the question, what is the kingdom of heaven? What is it that Jesus is describing in these parables? That question isn't easy to answer because the Bible describes it in a few different ways. In one sense, Jesus' kingdom is the entire world, the entire universe, because he's God and he created it and is king over everything, everywhere. So some people will say that the kingdom is wherever the king is reigning, which is everywhere. And that's true in a sense. But that doesn't seem to be the way that the kingdom is talked about in the Gospels. When Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, the kingdom of heaven is at hand or nearby, he is saying that something is here that was not here before. He obviously is talking about the kingdom in a narrower sense than the whole world. The same is true when we pray the Lord's Prayer. We pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. If we're asking God's kingdom to come, then we're saying that there is some sense where that isn't true just yet. It is not all the way here just yet. The same is true when Jesus is describing the kingdom of heaven in these parables. It is saying something other than simply saying God is the ruler of this world, which we just sang, and which is absolutely true. But Jesus is being more specific than that. In this gospel and in these parables, the kingdom of heaven is Jesus' reign over Jesus' people in Jesus' place. Jesus' reign over his people in his place. That definition of the kingdom helps us avoid a lot of reductionistic explanations of the kingdom of God. It absolutely includes the rule and reign of Jesus. He is the king, and so the kingdom is where he reigns. But it also involves his people, which we will talk about today. The kingdom has come to include people who were once alienated from Christ, but have now become his subjects. That's why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about the way that we live as citizens of his kingdom. And then the kingdom of God is in a place, which is the world. Remember what Jesus has been saying. The origin of his kingdom is not earth, it's heaven. But the whole point of him coming is that he is bringing his kingdom here to the earth. So the kingdom of heaven is Jesus' reign over Jesus' people In Jesus' place. And the key here is that the kingdom of heaven is most clearly found in Jesus' church. 
Not in the building, but in the organism of the church. God's people as we gather here together and scatter throughout our lives during the week. The church is where Jesus' kingship is acknowledged. It's where His people are gathered. This understanding of the kingdom helps us as a backdrop to understand what exactly Jesus is saying about the growth of the kingdom in these parables. And it also helps us understand why what he's saying can be so frustrating to us. So what does Jesus teach us about the growth of his kingdom, where his rule, people, and place exist? The first thing he teaches us in the parable of the weeds, or the parable of the wheat and the tares, is that this growth is contaminated for now, but will be pure when Jesus returns. The parable, again, uses the setting of a a farmer scattering seeds. But now the seeds aren't identified as the Word of God. Instead, there are two different kinds of seed. The good seed, Jesus tells us, are the sons of the kingdom, who are sown by Jesus Himself. And the bad seeds, or the weeds, are the sons of the evil one, who Jesus specifies is the devil. Jesus tells us that the field is the world, which is the place that the kingdom of God has come. The first bit of narrative we get is in verses 26 and 27, and it's the surprise of the master's servants. Look at verses 26 and 27 with me. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? The master gives his answer in verse 28. He said to them, an enemy has done this. Now, before you think how dumb these servants must have been to not realize what was going on, you need to know something about this weed. Because the word used here is not just the generic word, For weed, it's something specific. It's a specific kind of weed called darnel. It's a kind of weed that's related to ryegrass, but the grain of the darnel weed is poisonous to eat. In the early stages of its growth, it looks very much like the wheat plant, so that by the time someone would notice the fact that the crop was infested with it, it would be too late to rip it up without damaging the wheat. In ancient Rome, there were actually laws dealing specifically with the crime of sowing darnel in someone's wheat field as an act of revenge. This is the kind of weed that Jesus is referring to. What we shouldn't do is read into this parable that the, something that the rest of the Bible contradicts. That's always difficult with the parables. How far do we take this? So, for example, Jesus does not mean that he created some people and Satan created other people. No, when he says sons, he means that their nature is either in alignment with him or with the devil. But I want you to notice the shock of the servants. They cannot believe that the master's field would have weeds in it. They can't believe that Jesus' kingdom would have sons of the devil in it. And this is the first truth of this parable that we have to receive. Jesus is teaching us that right now the growth of his kingdom will not be a pure growth, but but that it will be mixed. It will be contaminated. The kingdom, for now, will include unregenerated, unbelieving people in it. 
In some ways, this is just an extension of the last parable that we heard last week, but zoomed out. We know that there were plants who sprouted up and received the word with joy, but they didn't have true roots. We know that there were plants who sprouted up, but the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches choked the word and made them unfruitful. Jesus is now showing us those plants from a less nuanced perspective. No matter what they look like for a time, they are not sons of the kingdom. They are not true Christians. And so the church will always have some who profess Christ, but who are not true disciples of Christ. To use the words of a song we'll sing later today, the church will always have false sons in her pale. Jesus has already shown us this on several occasions in the Gospel of Matthew. He told us in chapter 7, the church will have false prophets who are wolves dressed up in sheep's clothing. He said that there will be those who call Jesus Lord, Lord, but who do not truly know Him. In later parables, we will see foolish bridesmaids alongside wise ones. We will see false wedding guests alongside true wedding guests. All of these things are a sad and frustrating reality. It is brutal to watch people who were once among us walk away from Jesus. It is gut-wrenching and scary to see those who were so joyful choked out by the difficulty or the cares of the world. We see friends deceived by false teachers and hurt by wolves in the church. The church is a place where we come to find life and rest and comfort. And Jesus is telling us that even the church, his kingdom on earth, is going to be contaminated by evil. Let's look at the knee-jerk reaction of the servants in the parable, who are clearly Jesus' disciples. Read verse 28 with me. So, the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. The servants have come up with a solution. Let's purify the church. Let's rip up the weeds. Jesus' correction can be taken two ways. First, because the roots of the weeds are intertwined with the roots of the wheat plants, even pulling the weeds could damage the wheat. But second, we already saw that Darnell looks very much like the wheat plant. You could take Jesus' words to mean that the servants may accidentally rip up true wheat when they are intending to rip up the weeds. So Jesus says, no, leave them for now. But then he tells us the end result. Look at verse 30 with me. He says, let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. Jesus interprets this beginning in verse 39. He says, the harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. This tells us two important truths about the kingdom. First, definitive judgment is not our job. You'll remember from Matthew chapter 7 that judgment is actually necessary. We must discern and pay attention to the fruit in a person's life. Jesus will tell us in Matthew 18 about the process of church discipline for an unrepentant sinner. We should be, we should be discerning and we should pursue justice in the church. But definitive judgment is judgment of people in the church that pretends to know their heart. It presumes to say definitively, I know that person is a weed. In Luke 9, a Samaritan village won't receive Jesus. And two of his disciples, James and John, say, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? The text says, but he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. Are you the kind of person who hears about things happening in this church or in the church at large? You hear that the church isn't pure, and your first thought is, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? If so, Jesus commands you to be patient. Have forbearance. Don't turn off your brain, but wait before you go ripping up plants left and right. Lest, in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. But this also teaches a second truth. It teaches that definitive judgment will come when Jesus returns. Patience is not a cover for the victory of injustice. Being forbearing doesn't mean that sin and evil will go unnoticed and unpunished. Jesus, who sees all your actions, thoughts, and even your heart, will judge truly on the day that he returns. And the false sons, the ones who pretend to come to Jesus on the outside, but had no true repentance in their heart, will be gathered and thrown into the fire. This is the eternal punishment in hell. But the true sons, not the perfect or the morally upright, but the ones who see their sin and come to Jesus for forgiveness and for life, they will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Injustice has an expiration date. And so the right response to injustice and evil, even in the church, is not to go ripping up weeds and making eternal pronouncements upon people. No, the right response is to call for repentance. Patience is not inactivity. Call people to leave their sin and to come to Jesus. We see this connection between patience and repentance from God himself in 2 Peter 3. People in that setting are mocking Christians because Jesus hasn't returned yet. And listen to what Peter says. He says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. If you are the kind of person who would rather ignore someone's sin and never mention it, 
Jesus tells you that persistent sin will have eternal consequences. You must call those you love to repentance, to turn from their sin, and to come to Jesus. That's the parable of the wheat and the weeds. The next two parables also have the growth of the kingdom as their theme. They also answer the question, what does the growth of the kingdom of heaven look like? But they answer from a different angle. Since they're short, let's go ahead and read them again. This is verses 31 through 33. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Going back to those perspectives that the parables play on, these parables especially call attention to the fact that the kingdom of God looks very different at the beginning than it will look at the end. Both of these parables teach us that the growth of the kingdom of heaven is insignificant and slow for now, but will be amazing in the end. Jesus begins with two very insignificant beginnings. The first parable starts with a mustard seed, which he calls the smallest of all seeds. This seed is about one to two millimeters in diameter, and it would take about 500 of them to equal one gram. In the next parable, Jesus begins with leaven for making bread, which was necessary for the bread to rise. The normal way this would have worked in the ancient world is that they would have pinched off a piece from the old fermented dough from the previous bread to cause the new bread to rise, kind of like a sourdough starter. The parable tells us that a woman took this tiny piece of leavening agent and hid it in three measures of flour, which is about 60 pounds of flour. Both of those two things, the tiny mustard seed and the pinch of extra dough, are completely insignificant. Jesus tells us that those are what the kingdom of heaven is like. This is exactly true to what we've already seen. Jesus is the king of this kingdom, and he wasn't born in a place surrounded by pomp and circumstance. He was born in a tiny town surrounded by animals. He didn't call the royal and the rich around him, but fishermen and tax collectors to be his disciples. By the time Jesus dies, he only has about 120 people following him. And seemingly, this kingdom he came to bring was cut short by his shameful and insignificant death on a cross. The kingdom seems tiny, insignificant, unimportant. This is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. And for both the mustard seed and the leaven, the small beginnings also led to slow growth. At first, both are pushed out of sight so that the growth isn't even visible. The seed goes into the ground and the leaven hidden in the flower. Even after that, the seed slowly grows and the leaven slowly works its way through the mound of flour. This is what the growth of the kingdom of heaven looks like. It is slow. We don't want slow. We want fast. We want instant results. 
two-day shipping, overnight revival. I want my sin gone now. Jesus tells us that the growth of the kingdom will not go at the speed that we want. It will start out insignificant and seemingly ineffectual. What do you look at in the church at large or in this church or in your own life and say, this is never going to work. This is never going to amount to anything. I don't see any growth. Again, what Jesus is teaching us is patience. We are to be patient with the way the kingdom comes about. Patient with God's work in our lives and in the lives of others. Patient when it seems like the kingdom is stagnant or even shrinking instead of growing. But God is not only teaching us to be patient. He's also teaching us to be confident. Look at the end result of this growth. In the parable of the mustard seed, the tiny seed becomes larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And in the parable of the leaven, the leaven eventually works its way into 60 pounds of flour, which would have made enough bread to feed a small village. This is the ending perspective of the growth of the kingdom. It looks small now. It looks insignificant. Its growth is slow and sometimes seems to be moving backwards. But God promises that the kingdom will eventually achieve amazing growth. So big that the knowledge of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. This is what the kingdom of heaven will be like. This ought to give us confidence. We know the final outcome. Jesus did not stay in his grave. He has risen from the dead. We know the truth of Philippians 2, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We know the promise of Jesus himself in Matthew 16. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When we pray together, thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We know the outcome told to us in Revelation eleven fifteen. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Brothers and sisters, do you watch the news and despair? Do you see friends turning away from Jesus and want to throw your hands up and quit? Do not despair. The outcome is sure. Jesus Christ will prevail. His kingdom will cover the entire earth. But this application is also personal because the promises of the kingdom are not just global, but personal. Do you despair that you will never defeat your sin? Do you find yourself hopeless about your own growth and progress? Brother, sister, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Do you remember Paul's benediction at the end of 1 Thessalonians? He says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. In this world, the wrong seems off so strong. The reasons for frustration in the world and in the church and in our own lives are plenty. Jesus tells us that evil will remain for now, but it will not remain forever. When he returns and brings his kingdom to full growth, then all will be made right, including us. Brothers and sisters, Jesus calls us to patience because we have confidence in the final outcome. And our confidence is not in our techniques or our strategies or in our own strength. No, our confidence is in the promise and the strength of Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Would you all pray with me? Father, we need you every moment of every day. We need you for growth and life and health. And we need you for patience and confidence. We praise you and thank you that you have not left us guessing what the end result is. But that you have told us crystal clear what will come about. We pray that we would trust in your word and that we would live as those who trust in your word and in your promises. Cause us to cling to Jesus in both patience and confidence. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.